Before we get into the text today, um, I am really thankful as both a pastor and church member here of all the things that so many people do to keep our church running and all the myriad of ways that people serve, whether it's all the sound stuff and technology kind of things being connected to some of those group chats this week of this kind of cable and that kind of thing and who's doing this and I think I have zero knowledge of any of that, but I'm thankful that there are people that, that do. And, uh, and then you add to that Sunday school classes and keeping the facility clean and food and all the different preparations that, that people make. Uh, we are really, really gifted as a church and really thankful that we seek to have a church that it's not the professionals doing all the stuff and then the audience comes and listens, but we are a congregation. We're a church that is together, and we really want to be that. Also thankful for the work that uh, some young ladies have done. Uh, Brittany and Katie redid the nursing mother's room upstairs, and uh, I'm not a decorator, but I will say it's really nice. Now, I wouldn't go up there now, but after the service, you should really take a look at that. It's, uh, these are gifted young ladies, and it looks really, really good. And some of you might want to spend some more time up there, nine, ten months down the road. We have some more babies in the church. You feel free. Go right to it. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles, if you're there, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll start in the middle of 12. But as you're turning there, if you haven't turned there already, um, I want us to think back a little bit. I want us to think back about a thousand years before the time of Christ. We've got one of this, one of these awful stories in the Old Testament that you can think of. Uh, this is in 2 Samuel chapter 2, and you don't need to turn there. But it's one of those stories that you read in the Old Testament where you think, I, I don't want to share this in a kid's Sunday school class. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to tell this story to my, to my five-year-old if you've got a young child at home. One of those stories of just a complete lack of discernment, wisdom, decorum, zero value in life, and you think, what is going on here? So in 2 Samuel chapter 2, we've got two Israelite armies. You've got the army that was following Saul, now led by Ishbosheth, and then you've got an army led by David, and they're, they're warring against each other, and they're across this pond. So if you kind of picture a pond here, and the, the leaders of the army on this side and the leaders of the army on this side, they say, hey, here's something we should do. Hey, send me 12 of your really tough young men, and I'll send you 12 of my really tough young men, and we'll, we'll see who wins. And it says, it's this really brief story, and it says each young man, so 12 against 12, reaches, says reached with one hand across to the person across from them and sh shoved a sword into the other person all at the same time and 24 young men fall to the ground dead. It seems completely senseless. And what's going on here and why? And later, the, the battle kind of starts at that point. And then later, Ishbosheth's army, which was, you know, really a descendant of Saul here, is, is they lost and they're running. Uh, General Abner is running from David's Asahel. And so Asahel's chasing after him, and he's running down Abner. And Abner's like, quit chasing me. And they're racing along. Quit chasing me. He says it a second time. And then many of us know the story on this one. Asahel gets closer and closer, and Abner rams the back of, the, of his spear through Asahel's guts, and it kills him, and he lays there dead. 
And we're reading that and we're saying, how can this be? How can these awful things happen? And some of us chalk it up to, well, that's Old Testament, or that's when those people were like barbarians. But we're 3,000 years removed from then, and we can hear things like, this drug will kill you, or this decision could wreck your marriage, or those friends are leading you down a terrible path. Maybe this decision is going to affect you the rest of your life. And many of us would say, well, I would never do this or I would never do that. But we do because people do all the time, people in the church and out of the church. And while it's easy for us to point at others and say, man, you should never do that. And I can't believe you do this. Even in our own homes, if we're being honest, poor decisions are made over and over again. Sometimes we make decisions and we might define them as as small ones, perhaps. They might not seem too bad to us, but they really poorly reflect on being a child of God. At times, we weigh the evidence and we choose badly. Or we ignore the evidence, or we think that I will be in the 1% that seem to skate by, who never truly do. We could read all kinds of headlines and things that pop up on your phones. We could read all kinds of things of bad decisions that people make. But a question that we have in the text today, why aren't Christians more discerning? Are we growing in our own wisdom and discernment? And how does all this affect the good news of Jesus? So in the text today that Bobby read, kind of weaves through human need and and what God has done and steps that God desires us to take. Uh, Like last week and all the sermons that I'm preaching during Pastor Mark's sabbatical, these are all connected with how is the Holy Spirit working in a person's life? What is the Holy Spirit doing and pushing and directing and enabling as we look at this topic? And there is definitely this idea of following the pattern of sound words that uh, pushes us. It pushes us that there's daily choices. It pushes us that there's right and wrong. And I really would like us to ask ourselves, am I a discerning person? And maybe push a little bit farther and say, Would other people say that I was a discerning person? And how do we grow in discernment in following God? So first of all, uh, we have four points here. The first one being follow the apostles' teaching and example. would be the first one. The second one would be to fight for what God treasures. The third one would be to flee from our own power, that temptation to say, I've got this, I've got this. No, we need to flee from our own power. And then we're going to see some frequent responses that people have, some in the text here, and we might look at a couple other places as well. But first of all, following, how do we grow in discernment? Following the apostles' teaching and example. If we start here in verse 13, it says, as Paul writes to Timothy, Paul being in jail, Timothy being a leader in the Ephesian church, he says, hey, young Timothy, here's what you need to do. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So you have heard this from me and I heard it from Christ. So we live in a world where everybody seems to do what's right in their own eyes, where uh, two people can say, I see a circle 
and another person's looking at the same thing and they say, I see a box. And we live in a world now where often people are saying, hey, you can both be right. And we, most of us, would see that or hear that and say, you can't say something is green and it is purple as well. It's either purple or it's green. It's a, it's a box or it's round. We, we can't have both of these things. But we live in a world where we are pushed. It can be whatever you feel that it is. And when we say, well, no, there is actually objective truth and there's lines drawn in the sand, we can oftentimes be, you know, who do you think you are? And we're actually going to be looking at that. I think it's in about a month. We're going to be looking at the Christian and our interaction in the world when the culture or individuals are saying this or this or this. How does a Christian interact with that? But at a really quick level right here, Paul says, hey, Timothy, younger believer, follow me. I'm following Christ. Follow me. I'm an apostle. God has gifted me. And together, we're going to be following Jesus Christ. And what is this pattern of sound words that it says right here? He says, you need to follow this pattern of sound words. Well, maybe move back one page in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll look at a few verses in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to start right at the end of verse 2 and go through verse 5, because I think this gives us some understanding from the first letter from Paul to his protege, Timothy. He says at the end of of verse 2 of chapter 6, Hey, Timothy, teach and urge these things, which is really everything that I have written in my letter up till now. That's really what he's saying in 1 Timothy. So teach and urge what I have taught you, what I learned from Christ. Teach and urge these things, but... If anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with sound words, that's kind of healthy words is is the Greek wording or thinking there. If anyone does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that that accords with godliness, then he's got a real problem on his hands. He's puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions. And constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And then he goes on that godliness uh, um, with contentment is great gain, and he, he teaches on into that. But what are these sound words? Well, truly, it's biblical and ethical thinking. It's a moral teaching that is there earlier on in 1 Timothy. It's wisdom. It's truth. It's discernment. So maybe let's break down some of these for definitions as well. So what is biblical wisdom? Well, Proverbs chapter 1 starts us right off the beginning with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise instruction. So wisdom is applying the fear of the Lord to all areas of life. That'd be a really small, simple definition, but I think that's good. It's applying the fear of the Lord, recognizing God's power, that he is holy and righteous and good and he's merciful, and he's gracious to sinners. He loves his children. He is for his children. But applying the the awe of him and the fear of him, if you will, to all areas of life. I want to please this one who has given himself for me. And how about discernment? How might we define discernment? We could go in quite a a lot of detail, but just as kind of a a basic idea, I think... um, I think discernment can be well seen as kind of a a subset of wisdom, if you will. 
maybe wisdom applied to a choice or choices. Some of our original words might mean insight, understanding, judging, distinguish, to separate by diligence, search, to examine. We could look at some verses in Scripture. We could give us some understanding on this. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. That's the Hebrew word for discernment. So don't rely on your own discernment. We want discernment from Almighty God. Uh, We're told in Daniel that Daniel was giving understanding to interpret dreams. That's the Hebrew word for discernment. He was given the discernment to be able to understand what's going on in that dream. And when the leader of Babylon says, hey, I don't want you to just explain the dream. I want you to tell me what my dream was. God gave him that understanding, that discernment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural man does not accept the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural man, the person without Christ, does not understand because they're spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit enables that understanding. The spiritual person, the believer, what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians, the spiritual person judges all things. That word judges is, again, the word for discernment. He discerns all things, but he himself is judged by no one, or he himself is discerned by no one because, the verses go on to say, he has the mind of Christ. He is following how Christ thinks. He is following in his pattern and example and thinking how God thinks, and the Spirit is giving spiritual discernment. So um, maybe a, a brief case study. So uh, the famous verse from Proverbs 16, 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse goes on. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So which one is it? Well, a wise person will know that there are times a person needs to be spoken to, and there are times that a person should not even be answered. And a discerning person will be a person who's growing in their understanding of when to do so as, a, as kind of a subset of wisdom. They're saying, okay, when is, is it healthy to be around a person like this? So a discerning person is taking wisdom and saying, I want to please Jesus Christ. What kind of people should I surround myself with? What kind of thinking should I have? How should I apply some of these verses in Proverbs to my life 3,000 years after the Proverbs were written. So, so discernment is, is kind of narrowing that focus of wisdom. What is it going to look like in my life? And we grow in our ability to be discerning as we follow the apostles' teaching and example. And I'm going to read just briefly from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. Um, and you can follow along with me. Um, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, when we're talking about discernment, I'll read, I think it's through the end of the chapter, but it's just a few verses. He's, he's warning against sin. He's warning against falling away. He's warning against ignoring God and his righteousness and holiness. And he says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You, you don't even know God's word, Hebrews. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness because he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained from what? By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
If we just let ourselves go along with whatever people are doing around us, foolishness is sure to follow. And he's talking about the word of God, the oracles of God. We need God's word to direct us and guide us and keep us on the path. And really, God's word is kind of pushing us and pushing us and pushing us. Wait, hey, here's an idea. Here's what people are doing as we veer. And God's word is pushing us, pushing us, pushing us to the middle. So we need to be thinking through, how am I spending time? The apostles' teaching, which truly is the word of God. Second point, how do we grow in discernment? We need to fight for what God treasures. We continue in 2 Timothy, uh, looking at verse 14. It says, by the Holy Spirit, so you need to follow this pattern of sound words that you've heard. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit. So what are we willing to fight for? Well, I think there's probably a lot of diversity in this group. You have some people that are maybe quickly to, quick to get up there and say, no, no one's going to disrespect me. No one's going to bother my kid. But what are you willing to fight for? Now, for some of us, it might be a political candidate. It might be thieves breaking into your house. It might be your child's safety. I don't know. It might be your rightful place in a line of cars and people are trying to cut in on you and you're saying, ain't going to happen. I'm going to stay on the bumper of the car in front of me. This is, I'm not going to give in to this. I don't know at what level you're willing to fight for things. But Paul is using some fighting type words in the verses right here. He's using the term guard, a military word, a, a soldier on watch. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty thankful for those in our community and those in our military who are willing to help keep us safe, that are willing to stand in the gap. I'm thankful for those, even in our church, who are willing to provide security. I'm thankful for people that are willing to guard. And we think of guarding a treasure, and that's what we're going to talk about. But what's some of the greatest treasures that we can think about might be our children in the nursery or our friends, you know, that are, that are over here on this side of the church. And we have people that are, are willing to protect, are willing to guard. And he says, hey, Timothy, you need to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. And that, that word for good deposit there is really the word treasure. That's the Matthew 13. You know, a man was, was cutting through a field, and he, he was cutting through, and he saw a treasure. And he went home, and he sold everything that he had, and he sold it all so he could go and buy that field so he could have that treasure. That treasure being the kingdom of God wrapped up in Jesus Christ himself, right? And he's saying, hey, Timothy, you need to guard this good treasure entrusted to you. What is this good treasure? Well, chiefly, it's the good news of Jesus Christ applied to sinners like us. We're there in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's back up a few verses from what we've been studying. Let's look at 8 through 12. I think this kind of gives us an understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. He's been encouraging Timothy, saying, hey, remember what your mother and grandmother have done. Fan into flames these gift that you have received. Um, do not be afraid. And then in verse 8, he says this. And I think he gives kind of four things that help us think here. He says, one, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And what did God do? Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus 
before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. What, what, what is he talking about right here? Well, he's really talking about ultimate discernment. And ultimate discernment being the good news of Jesus Christ being received. And what four things does he say here? He says, first of all, Timothy, do not be ashamed about the truth of our Lord. So that's something to think about. If, if I'm ashamed of this is who Jesus is and this is what he has done, we need to be pushed here. This is something not to be ashamed of, but to be proud of. Look at what Almighty God decided to do for us too, to be willing to share in suffering for the gospel. Now, some of the stuff that Paul went through, we can read and think, how did he even do that? He did it by relying on his Savior, but being willing to share in suffering. And three, ultimate discernment, be salvation. What does he say about salvation right here? And be thinking. Say you're an eight-year-old in here, or you're an 18-year-old in here, or you're a 78-year-old in here, whatever age you are, is this me? Is this the Savior that I am trusting in today? And if not, you can know him today. It says, look at what God did. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our works. There's nothing that I can bring to the table. I can't come there and say, God, look at how good I have been. He says, it's, it's not by works, but because of his own purpose and grace. It says, he gave us in Christ, in the Messiah Jesus, before the ages began. This isn't something that God just thought up recently. Before time began, God had purpose and plan and salvation, and he's working that plan even right now. It says, look at what he has done. It's been manifested or shown through the appearing of the only Savior, Christ Jesus. He abolished death, and he brought life and immortality to light through the good news of himself. This can be yours. This can be yours. And I think the fourth thing, maybe section part of that, is being willing to serve however God would have you. He says, for me, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And God brought that and had me do that. And that's what brought suffering to me. But I'm willing to do that because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. What is the good deposit? It's the treasure of Almighty God. and being willing to serve however God wants. Uh, several of you have met um, Natalie and Lindsay's uh, friend, Ramazan, um, an, an Afghan believer, and, uh, you know, when I hear his story, and he's shared his story here, which is, it's always interesting, you have someone from another culture, the idea of, hey, share for six minutes is really not done in that culture. It's share for as long as you want, and if it's an hour or two, great. Uh, but Ramazan shared, I think we gave him 10 minutes, and he might have taken 20, but it was terrific. And I was really thankful to hear, and some of you remember back, that was maybe five or six months ago. And, and if you know his story and hear how he went from safe house to safe house to safe house, all over Kabul, all over those areas, and authorities were behind him, and they were going to get killed, and they had their two little kids, and moving from place to place to place. He's a really fairly young believer. I think he'd been a believer eight or ten years at that time, was a pastor of a house church, um, was a leader in Islam before that. But as he was reading, he was saying, 
I, I don't see how these writings can be true. He got a hold of some, some scriptures or parts of scriptures. He was reading a whole bunch of scriptures, um, got connected with uh, Benny Hinn's ministry for a while, kept reading the Bible, got rid of Benny Hinn's ministry after a while, kept reading, got connected with some Nine Mark stuff, and was reading the Bible and reading the Bible and reading the Bible and trusted in Christ. Married, two little kids, everything falls apart in Afghanistan, and he's going to die. They're going to kill him. And he's chased from place to place, place to place to place. Eventually, some sister churches in Louisville help fly him and some other people here. He's planting a church in, uh, has planted a church in Louisville now connected with Third Avenue. And I was going to show a short video here, but I'm just going to read from his video. He came in May, so he's been coming once a month and doing some outreach with, with our church, um, uh, with Refuge Owensboro, uh, Lindsay and Natalie heading that up, and they did some outreach, and some, some of you were there at their outreach as well. They just tried to play some sports, connect with some people, and um, I'll read this, but I can't do Ramazan's voice, but he just says this. Um, coming to Owensboro was amazing. Uh, we had a wonderful time with these Afghans. Most of them were new to me and my family. We were playing soccer, volleyball, volleyball, and that sort of stuff. It was great. From beginning, from beginning to start, it was cool. Please pray about it that we would be able to meet them regularly every month and have some specific activities that we would be able to share the gospel. So that is the main point. And I love reading that because Ramazan is fighting for what God treasures. It was hard for him. He and Shamsia looked like they were going to die over and over and over. But they didn't say, oh, I get to define for God what it looks like to follow you. They say part of real discernment is saying, my God is the one worth following. I am going to trust in him. And he, and he continues on to do that. And I would encourage you, uh, June 20th is a Tuesday night. If you'd be interested in helping out, there's an outreach we're having here at the church with a whole bunch of a trailer load of the Blackford Baptist Association's uh, bouncy houses and snow cone machines and stuff like that. It's World Refugee Day that day. And uh, from 6 to 8.30 or 9, we're having a whole bunch of stuff here. If you would like to work with that, you could talk with Lindsay or Natalie and uh, join in with seeking to point people to Jesus Christ. So fight for what? God treasures. Third point, uh, flee from relying on our own power. So the question is, how do, how do we do that? Because there is some good at being a person that says, I don't just sit back and let the world run me over. I don't just sit back and say, there's nothing I can do. I'm just going to keep, keep, you know, changing the station on the TV, and I'm just not going to worry about those things. Um, uh, it is often healthy to have a response of, I've got a problem. I want to fix it. Um, you know, I, I wonder how my hot water heater is going to get fixed. I don't know. You know, I, I wonder how I'll pay my bills. I wonder who will deal with the rabid dog outside. Hopefully, we don't have a, oh, I wonder, that we put some action to it. So that's a healthy response that humans ought to have. But kind of the ugly flip side of that is we can think, hey, in life, I'll just take care of this on my own. Or I'm pretty good at this. Or I know some people that are really bad at this and I'm not, so I'm just going to keep doing my thing. The Bible pushes us, Paul pushes us here in 2 Timothy, that we need to flee from relying on our own power. It says in verse 14, he said, in 13, follow the pattern of sound words. 
He says we're supposed to guard the good deposit, but how are we to do it? Start of verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. And we must, through reading of the word, prayer, we must utilize the Holy Spirit's power. Um, I'm pushed by John 16 when Jesus says, Hey, disciples, it's better for you that I leave than if I stay. Because if I leave, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to guide you into all truth. So I'm going to go away and you're going to miss me, but you need the Holy Spirit. And we know that in that verse, chiefly in that section, chiefly talking about the inscripturated word is coming through the apostles there, right? The Holy Spirit is coming and is going to be uh, opening their eyes so they can be the writing of the New Testament. But there's also that push of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Also, uh, jump back up to verse 12. He says there, but I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I'm convinced that he, this is talking about God, is able to guard until that day. Christ is coming back. He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So what's going on there? Well, it's, it's guard. He is able to guard. But then in verse 14, I am to guard. What's going on right here? Well, I am to guard, to fight for the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I am enabled by the one who is guarding all things in his almighty power. There's some discussion. Is this God the Father? Is this God the Son? I, in Trinity... God Almighty is doing this good work, and he is able to guard. Not because I'm so strong, not because I'm so tough, but because he has this. He's passed it on, his expectations, and God is doing his good work. If I could maybe illustrate this just a little bit, the work of God. So uh, 1 Kings, if you want to turn there with me, you can, or you can just listen as I read. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. Be a pretty familiar verses to us. So this is uh, Solomon as a young man saying, Lord, give me discernment. Give me wisdom. I, I need discernment. I want to think how you think. Uh, and I'll, I'll just read this section, uh, starting verse 5 of 1 Kings chapter 3. And Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and an uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept him this great, for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant David, servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people. Too many to be numbered or counted for multitudes. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind, a discerning mind to govern your people that I might discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? Now, we don't know the age of Solomon at this time. And we all know some of the sin that Solomon got into later in life and are horrified by it, right? But I love the words that he says, who is able to do this? 
You know, I don't know, even know how to go out and come back in. I feel overwhelmed. Do you, do you feel that deep in your soul with some of the things that you need to discern between even now? I'm sure there are those in here, myself included, that so many times in parenting you're saying, I know the principles that God has given. I know that God says, I want you to, to raise your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we're saying, I, I, I don't know what to do here. I've got circumstances that are really, really hard. And our temptation is, okay, I can fix this. I can, okay, well, this is what my parents did or whatever. And some of those can be good things. The first thing we must do is to rely on Almighty God and say, God, help me. Show me through your word. Do your good work. And you might feel these circumstances in situations at your work, um, maybe with extended family, maybe navigating culture, daily decisions. I don't know what that might be. But help me, I'm inadequate is a really good prayer. God, give me wisdom. Let me look into your word is a really good prayer. And then if you want, you can turn with me to Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is a psalm that Solomon wrote later in life, probably around the time he was finishing Ecclesiastes, but we don't know that definitively. But it kind of gives us, uh, 1 Kings 3 kind of gives us this idea of, of, I'm a young man, I am desperate for help. And Psalm 72 shows the good work that God did to this young man that cried out to him. Psalm 72, as an older king, Solomon says this, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May we want that today. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May the king defend the cause of the poor of the people. May he give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. We want that today. May the fear of you, we talk about wisdom, fear of God applied to daily life. May they fear you while the sun endures on and on and on and and as long as the moon through all generations. And then at the very end of the chapter, he continues with this. Here's how amazing our God is, the king says. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. He kind of says, hey, I wrote this. This is what my dad was longing for. I begged God for this, and God did his perfect work. God, I need you. I don't want to use my own power. Give me discernment. And God did. Flee from relying on our own power. And then the last point, um, some frequent responses to God's plea to be discerning. Well, some people turn away. Paul says in verse 15, you're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Paul's in jail for his second imprisonment. Things are really rough for him at this time. Um, They turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. What did they do and why did they do it? We really don't know. Some type of rebellion. Maybe they they led the group in, in desertion. We know that truly they were living as one who is not a child of God and certainly at one time it looked like they were. Um, did God grant them repentance later? I have no idea. Did they turn from their wicked ways? 
I have no idea. But they get called out right here, and they have hurt Paul and hurt the cause of Christ, hurt Paul deeply. Then I want us to flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's probably just one page over and look at 3 and 4. And it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. Don't be like that. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Timothy, do the work of the ministry, he says right there. And when I read that list, time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, having itching ears. They will find people that tell them what they want to hear. I just see teenagers, let that not be you. Kids in here, let that not be you. Middle-aged people in here, let that not be you. Don't find people that are just willing to tell you whatever you want to hear. If you're honestly seeking for discernment, if you're honestly seeking for wisdom, you really want to follow God, find people that are willing to speak truth to you. Be teachable. Be humble. I think people willing to speak truth, being teachable and being humble, the people that, that we interact with that are struggling with discernment, are missing one of those three, sometimes really significantly. Sometimes they're missing two. Sometimes they're missing all three of those. We've got warning passages in Scripture where believers are to evidence the work of God in their life. But oh, too many times, Christians are just kind of going along with whatever they're used to, whatever the norm is. And those warning passages are serious about that. Let that not be us. Rather... May we be like Onesiphorus, verse 16 of chapter 1. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. On the, on the day when Christ returns, may Onesiphorus have mercy, and you well know the service that he rendered at Ephesus. Timothy might know him personally, or he might have just known stories of him. We really don't know where he was living, Onesiphorus, at that time. But wow, he was faithful and wise. We have this blessing to the faithful and mercy from the Lord on that day. I think it's knowing God and the conviction to obey. I think earlier in 2 Timothy, um, Paul talks about, hey, Timothy, you're such an encouragement to me. Look at what your grandmother taught your mother and what your mother and grandmother have taught you. You're such an encouragement to me. And there, as Paul was in jail, he was saying, you have had wisdom and discernment because you love Jesus, and that's such an encouragement to me here in jail, Paul would be saying. I think this also pushes us a little bit. We're not going to get into it today at all, but this is what we're going to look at next week a little bit. The ugly flip side of being discerning being discerning is really, really good, and it honors God, and God loves it. But the ugly flip side of being discerning is oftentimes temptations to be critical. So oftentimes a person that's really discerning, they, they see evil coming from afar off. They can kind of see through that person that's telling lies. They can see through the circumstance and say, eh. oftentimes that ditch can float to the other side of the road, and the temptation can be a critical spirit of being so watchy that they kind of see problems that aren't even there. So I would push us a little bit here. Maybe you're not very discerning and you're growing in that. Maybe you're a really discerning person. Watch yourself. Am I becoming a critical 
person. And if I could finish us with reading from Proverbs chapter 2 as we finish our thinking here. Proverbs chapter 2, you can just listen as I read. Proverbs chapter 2, uh, and I'm going to read 1 through 12. And as we think through looking at the apostles' teaching and fleeing from our own power, as we think about fighting for what God treasures and then responses that different people have. Proverbs chapter 2. The writer says, My son, if you will receive my words. So here's your if. If you will receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. So if you do all those things, that's one big if. Here in our conclusion is the then, and this can be ours. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant for your soul. Discretion will watch over you, and understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil and from men of perverted speech. None of us knows what our day is going to bring tomorrow. None of us knows what our week is going to be. But the word of God stands forever, and we trust in him. May we be a discerning, wise people who please him in all that we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the the push we have in the first part of this chapter that there's nothing that I can do to earn my way in good standing with Almighty God. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that it's pushed. It's not by works of righteousness, not by anything good. And so the temptation that we may have to say, I'm discerning, therefore God likes me. Nope, doesn't hold water at all. Lord, any discerning effort that we have, and we ought to have it as your children, we want it to be as a gift back to you. That you have enabled us to say, here are the good things of God, and I want to follow in his path. And I want my children to follow in his path. And I want the people around me, I want the people at this church, I want people I come in contact with, extended family, all these different things, to know the joy of saying, hey, there's challenging things in this world, but I'm going to follow my Savior. Thank you so much for your word, and thank you for brothers and sisters that push us in a loving way to know and follow you. In Jesus' name.